What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, you're welcome right back to Africa Business Radio. Winston is still in the studio with you guys. And of course, I'm I've got Rachel. Alone. I've yeah. got Rachel. You'll see that. I've got Rachel in the studio. <laughs> I'm right Rachel here. Rachel with me as well. She should never leave. She's here. She's All right. Don't be scared. All right. So uh, we did introduce the, the topic at the start of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we almost got carried away because it's actually a very big one. Very, very important. Significant for too many reasons, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and now it's time to really dissect and get into it. Uh, again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking the impact of internet shutdowns. Hmm. Something very, very peculiar in Africa. Right. Always Africa. Why? Why do I always have to be at that corner? If you ask me. <laughs> right. Very good one. Uh, but this uh, would be an interesting conversation. And we won't be alone. We have some interesting, uh, great guests mm. joining us as well. Right. Um, IDC spokespersons. Uh, we will be joined by Jonathan Toilet, who is uh, the research manager, IT services for IDC Sub-Saharan Africa, and of course Francis Hook, who is regional manager for IDC East Africa. So we'll be uh, dissecting the impact of internet shutdowns and just looking at a lot of critical talking points mm. uh, as this is concerned. That's right. So right. Uh, major African countries have had to go through this whole saga of having internet being shot. And according to the mm-hmm. government, they always say it's due to security reasons. Mm-hmm. And the big question is, is it worth it considering the cost of this particular move by the government? Absolutely. And big question is, isn't there any regulation at all? You know, is it something that they can just do at will and, you know, get back to normal and, you know, um, get to go back to what it was like before? Is it is it that easy to just cut off the internet access and when it comes back on, everything goes back to normal? That's why I said earlier, if you ask me, I'd say it is total abuse of power. Censorship. Uh, uh, yeah. Cause, and, and, and then... So, so the, the the thing is, a lot of these dictators try to say, "Oh, it's for the interest of the country, national right. security, and the likes." But hey, it's not; it's never done right. I mean, things go on in Africa; crazy things happen, and there are no consequences. So, I think that's the problem: no accountability. You know, we just go back to normal, like nothing happened, which shouldn't be. You know, it's you you shut down the internet; people, businesses suffer; people can't trade people can't do anything people can't do financial transactions and then you just bring mm. it back and say oh it's fine and nobody pays for that um so it just boils down to you know arbitrary use of power and then another reason which is something you had asked earlier why the un is careful 
with intervening in things like this is that's a thin line between you know great interventions no matter how good the intention is and you know a threat to sovereignty that's what they'll always say mm. so you know now talking about the cost of internet blackout mm. talking about the cost this is a quick survey of what has gone down in some African countries let's start with Sudan for example right. uh, Sudan lost about a billion US dollars in June 2019 mm. when there was a shutdown for nearly a month mm-hmm. and that amounts is about 1% of the country's GDP. Wow. You can imagine for a month. And in December 2018, there was an internet shutdown in DRC, right. and that's estimated to cost about 3 million US dollars per day. See that. Now that's not all in January <laughs> t- <laughs> All African countries now in January yeah. 2019 in Zimbabwe mm. they lost about 5.7 million US dollars each of the six days that access to internet was was unavailable these are countries mm. that hardly have this monies that are being wasted It's ridiculous if you ask me mm. and again it's always Africa and also Jonathan Tullet is the research manager at the IT service for IDC Sub-Saharan Africa. And then Francis Hook is the regional manager at IDC East Africa. Uh, of course, would have loved to start a conversation with uh, IDC and what uh, they are about. Before we get into uh, the conversation proper about internet shutdowns in most African countries this morning, I'm hoping to get a response from our guest. Uh, still quite shaky. I can't seem to uh, hear them at this point. Uh, but we'll just keep the conversation going up until we can get to communicate we're really sorry about uh, this on and off in this conversation you know you were saying yes um, um, so I was saying that you know and the thing is it's always in Africa where we actually need these things to work properly and just for clarity right a clear definition of an internet shutdown is an intentional disruption of internet based communications rendering them inaccessible or effectively unavailable for a specific population Location or mode of access uh, often to exert control. So you mm. see the keywords uh, over the flow of information. So now, internet shutdown is not the same as you know limiting or restricting access to uh, selected apps. Mm. So that's different. That's that. You could say that's censorship. You could say okay, uh, maybe people put fake information. Let's try and filter what comes out. Yeah, mm. but we totally shut down the internet. That is abuse. Mm. Totally. And the thing is, these disruptions in internet access, even though they happen in one country, it goes to affect some other countries. Right. Why is that? We have infrastructures, uh, service providers in these countries who say, okay, we can no longer deal with this disruption. We mm. see them moving their infrastructures away from that country. It's going yes. to affect their business. You know, it's going to affect the business Absolutely. of the business in that country yeah. and maybe the parent business in whatever country they are coming from. Right. So the country, if they've lost infrastructure, they've lost money. Exactly. So that's why I would never understand it. It is, it is, counterproductive in every sense in every sense in every sense um, you are losing so so what that does is it's not a conducive environment it's a toxic atmosphere do you get me so mm. when you have that it's almost the same as having insecurity on the rise I can I will not come to your country and invest and bring millions of dollars or, or euros or pounds when I can't when you cannot guarantee the safety of my staff for True. example so that's it. So if I, if I have a situation where, especially as a tech provider or as an internet provider, uh, you're making it difficult for us to work and then I know that you can shut down my service at any time for as long as you wish, you know, because of selfish reasons, because you're trying to exert control or control the flow of information, then I don't think I would want my business to stay in your country for too mm-hmm. long. So yeah. we see it affecting people 
in that space and mm. businesses. But the big question is, do these shutdowns really work? Because governments will say we're trying to calm people down. We're trying to make sure we control um, misinformation. Mm. We're trying to make sure that the electoral processes are followed. We're trying to make sure that you know there's no, um, what am I going to call it now, disruptions in, mm. in political process. But does it really work You know, at calming things down? And as you said earlier, they are counterproductive sometimes. Yeah. In fact, most times all, they are. The time, uh, yeah. Because you see people people who have had to deal with not having internet access right. I think you'd find more social unrest in areas yes, like that true true uh, also also another very uh, important thing to note is the fact that again it is mostly done for selfish reasons if for example so let's let's go back to Uganda right mm. now you you do not shut out international observers or election observers that's that's not even done because people should Observe and just be sure that a this process is entirely transparent. Mm-hmm. So when you block that out, what are you hiding while you doing this? It means that you're not creating a level playing field. So that's not an election. That's blatant rigging. You get me? And uh, when you totally shut down the, the the internet access, don't forget it is not just saying, oh, you know what, this is for national security purposes. You are affecting specific sectors. You talk about financial services, right? People have to do payments. There are Mm. international and local payments and transactions that are heavily dependent on internet access, Mm -hmm. including those, you know, accessed via mobile apps. Mm -hmm. So I can't do transfers. I can't send money to my little brother or cousin who's starving or Mm -hmm. maybe even in the hospital. You know? Because the government shut down the internet. So it is... I can't even wrap my head around it. I, I don't. I hate to use these terms, but I think it is really, really primitive. I think it is too. I mean, it, yeah. in general, such restrictions should be avoided completely. And mm-hmm. in cases where you say, "Okay, it's an emergency. We need mm-hmm. to shut things down." Let's go back to what happened on January six uh, at the Capitol in the right. U.S. Right? Despite everything that happened, there was not a minute. Mm-hmm that they experienced internet shutdown. They could have used the excuse that, okay, Donald Trump is trying to spread wrong information online and so we have to shut it down. No, there was never a time. They allowed for spectators Mm -hmm. to see what's going on in the US and, you know, get proper judgments, you know, eventually. And so nothing like this should happen. And even if the law decides, okay, there is an emergency it should be very very temporary it should be for a few minutes or a few hours we have this thing going on for an entire month in uganda again what you should do is make provisions for essential services just Mm -hmm. like we mentioned so for example if there was if there were a state of emergency in the country right say in a country imagine if insecurity was so bad and the government declares a state of emergency which state of emergency basically means um, overriding the constitution uh, to take drastic arbitrary decisions because it is necessary Mm. so what you do is for example uh, you could say it's unconstitutional but we have to deploy military personnel all across the country because there's so much chaos uh, and protests or uprising when things get back to normal we'll go back to constitutional Mm -hmm. processes even in that situation you let essential an emergency service uh, delivery persons move. So, in other words, you allow ambulances go pick up people mm. who have a medical emergency. 911 is allowed to move. But the question is, how do you, you allow- even get so to communicate see- with these guys when there's a complete blackout? No, no, so that's what I'm saying. So, I'm <clears throat> giving a, a, um, a, a very relatable example right now. So, even in that situation, as a matter of fact, even in 
small-scale war situations, mm. there's always provision for essential services, mm-hmm. food supply, medical supply, water supply, um, catering to kids and mm. babies. So same should apply to whatever internet shutdown or censorship we're trying to do. You have to make provision for these guys to be able to work. True. So again, financial transactions, mm-hmm. online financial transactions. Even there's also virtual health delivery services. People can consult doctors virtually. So somebody's managing a chronic case, for example, and cannot have the usual doctor's appointment, which ordinarily has transitioned into virtual meetings because yeah. they can no longer go to the hospitals because of coronavirus. And now I can't talk to my doctor because the government has shut down the internet. So like you right, like you said, what the point I'm trying to make is if it has to happen, which I still don't I don't think there's any argument that'll convince me. It should be narrowly that it targeted works. at least. It should be narrowly targeted and you must make provisions for um, other essential services mm. not to suffer. It's, it's just never Hell. defensible. It's Shutting not. down the whole country's internet completely, news sites, mm-hmm. emails, and all—it's never, never Again, defensible. Only in Africa, they need to, <laughs> only in Africa they need to define limits, and mm-hmm. this is where um, international bodies come to play. International mm-hmm. monitoring and, and activist campaigns, mm-hmm. you know, come to play. It was really disappointing how the UN did nothing about what, what went down in Uganda, and um, at, at the end of the day, they'll be like, "Okay, mm-hmm. we do not want to interfere." Yeah. in your political space mm. but that's why you're there yeah. to defend those people who, who cannot actually fight for themselves at times like this and to be to be fair most times the UN likes to take time they like to um, do their preliminary investigation uh, and also see areas to come in also most times the UN intervention is basically America intervening a lot of African countries have said every time the US comes in things get worse nothing happens it's almost an uprising uh, the trigger of sponsor wars and stuff like that right mm. um, however another thing I wanted to point out was at some point there just has to be interventions that's mm. just the truth there has to be interventions because things cannot continue to go on like that and even in a so another big point is even in a, 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 a more conservative communist system like you have in China and other parts of Asia they don't just shut off everybody what China would do for example is shut out some platforms mm. for theirs to grow so for example they have um, the alternative to Google so they'd rather say you know what no let's have our platforms grow let's have more of our Android platforms or Android phones and devices rather than push the iPhone mm-hmm. right so they do that or if a, a, a platform like TikTok seems to you know pose a threat to national security they could have you know limited access or some kind of censorship mm. or they would have their own version that would you know be better for everybody as yeah. against completely shutting down access to all these platforms True. and all these apps now what about the telecom providers it's understandable when a government officials come to them and say okay we want you to shut down your operations mm. for a month mm. Do they have no right at all to, <laughs> you know, say, okay, we cannot do this? Or isn't there like a legal backing? That's a, that's a fantastic you know? point and a fantastic question. Um, I think that they're just scared of, you know, government clampdown. Every every investor wants to be on, in the good books of the sitting government. Mm. You want a situation where um, the government doesn't antagonize you. So right. I think that's the problem. And, and to be honest, I had even brought this up. Because a similar thing happened in Nigeria where you have the government giving directive to telecom operators to blacklist certain platforms and mm. certain sites and sources. 
and that's that's also abuse so why do you do that why do you target people so it doesn't make any sense all right i think we have our guests now um of course we're talking about uh, internet uh, shutdown across africa at this point why is that the case and what can be done mm. uh, we've got uh, spokespeople from idc jonathan tullis the research manager it services for idc sub-saharan african francis hook the regional manager idc east africa right. hello good morning it's good to have you here. So, so sorry for that back and forth with uh, connection there. So uh, just the background before we get into the uh, internet shutdown communication now. I mean, it's been one year of the pandemic. would like to know uh, what the impact has been on internet usage and, of course, the adoption of technology over the last one year. Well, it, it's been tremendous. Um one of the one of the phenomena that that came directly out of the response to the pandemic was the acceleration of the use of uh, cloud technologies and mobile technologies uh, right across the region uh, as well as across the world to be honest mm. you know, uh, from large organizations pushing out their workforces to be remote to small entrepreneurs who were taking advantage of technologies to adapt their businesses uh, to the you know, very tough market conditions mm. so you, I think now is a particularly poignant time these societies are directly leveraging those technologies right. to survive and to, to get through a, the pandemic. Mm. So on the cost of um, internet across the continent, what is the current average cost? Uh, what can we look at in terms of you know reduction in the cost of internet access? We're talking about this a couple of minutes ago on the show. In a nutshell, I think I could I could summarize it as, as too damn high. The, yeah, it varies obviously a huge amount from from country to country, from technology to technology, whether you're talking about you know, access to mobile technology, access to uh, high-speed uh, fiber technology. Um, but what, what, one thing that is consistent is that we're relying more and more on these technologies. If you look mm-hmm. at the, the role that mobile technology plays, and you know, Francis can give you some, some insight specifically into what's happening in in East Africa here, we're seeing the, this tremendous adoption of technologies which, which rely on the access to the internet, access to bandwidth, access to connectivity. Mm. Uh, because it's so pervasive and because it's so empowering, it's just as important to make sure that it's also democratic, right? That it's available to everybody. You, one of the things that it's important to, uh, to avoid in the situation is that kind of digital divide, whether it's... Uh, economic, whether it's cultural, whatever it may be, you don't want to have a situation where the technology halves uh, end up with a sort of an unsustainable advantage over the, the technology have-nots. Uh, and yeah, again, we're in a situation where your yeah, access to things like distance learning um, and government services through, uh, through technology are particularly important. And actually, that's an area where many African countries have done particularly well in the last year uh, compared to yeah, some parts of um, Southeast Asia or, or South America, for example, where they've had more difficulties. So mm-hmm. we're doing we're doing well in some respects, but the cost is still too high, the reach is still too limited, um, and as we as we're talking about today, uh, it's fairly vulnerable to interference. All right, another very important question. Uh, so we had talked about this, and you know we are of the opinion that it is outright abuse. You know when this uh, flagrant and blatant shutdown of internet services especially in some parts of africa happens now why do we have a situation where you know there's there are no concessions for 
important services, for example, financial services, when you totally and outrightly shut down the internet access, people cannot also access financial services. They can't do international transactions. They can't send money in cases of an emergency. Do we have any reason why? Is there any reason why the governments of these countries don't even put these into consideration when they make these decisions? I can give you a couple of reasons, but they're not good ones. Um, <laughs> so the, the first one is mm-hmm. the, the reason that, that basically all governments have to exert this kind of control in, in the first place, which is uh, which is usually framed as national security. Right. So in right. the event that a, a country's internet is uh, under attack by a, a foreign adversary, they need to have the ability to to shut off access to protect themselves. Right. Yeah, which is kind of a hypothetical scenario that nobody's ever actually had to leverage, but it's there. Uh, the other is um, the requirements for interception and monitoring, which is something that uh, is always baked into telecoms licensing. So it's the ability to intercept and monitor for uh, for security and surveillance and law enforcement. Uh, so there's that ability, which and it usually stems from the same place. And then more recently, the, the argument um, is against uh, specific services. Uh, right. So the, you know, forcing uh, citizens away from areas where there may be a great deal of, of potentially damaging misinformation, for example. And yet the US right now is kind of the poster child for, for this inaction. And there's a lot of debates about um, whether it's appropriate to kick people off social networks and so on. So those are, those are the excuses that will come up. Um, but you know, none of them in themselves justify switching off an entire country's internet infrastructure when, as you point out, Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, you have services that people rely on to survive. Right, absolutely. Uh, you know, whether that's you know, access to financial services, business services, and you know, healthcare and education, and, and you know, many, many, many services. So switching off the whole lot uh, is is very heavy-handed, um, and mm. it, it does you know, it does raise a, a lot of eyebrows uh, when it happens. Mm. Uh, but to to get back to one of the questions you, you asked specifically, uh, no, it, um, there isn't at the moment that I know of in, in any uh, in any country's legislation uh, the requirement that it be weighed against the economic or any other kind of damage to the community. Right, and so we've seen how huge the loss is, the economic damage that's caused by a shutdown in access to the internet. I'm just wondering, is this loss irrevocable or can a country actually recover the money or the loss of income you know, afterwards, after it's restored? No, I don't think you can. And First of all, I think the economic loss is sort of undercooked when you see the, the descriptions of it because it generally fails to take into account the... Uh, so the accelerating effect of it. So if, yeah, if you set a, an investor back by a year, yeah, they lose that compounded uh, benefit over time. So I think the same thing applies here. And almost by definition, you can't get it back because if you hadn't lost it in the first place, you would be in a strong position going forwards. So I, I don't think I don't think you can get it back. Just how serious an impact it has on your economy versus the argument that a government would make, which is that well, if we hadn't done it, the impact would have been worse. 
All right. So over to you, uh, Francis Hook. Now, I would like to know, you know, the way forward. This is going to still happen. I'm very sure it's still going to happen on and on and on, even after now. But what's the way forward? Um, thank you. Uh, I wanted to touch, first of all, touch on a few um, aspects uh, which may perhaps also allow us to uh, discuss the way forward. Right. You were talking about the, the justification and uh, Jonathan mentioned the issue about national security. These operators who are asked to shut down in their licenses, there is a clause where they have to always be compliant when uh, national security issues are raised. Um, in some cases, like Jonathan said, it's justified uh, whenever you want to stem the flow of misinformation or, uh, you know, to try and contain a situation before it gets out of hand. So there is right. a certain degree of, uh, um, you know, a uh, 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 basis for that kind of shutdown. But nonetheless, um, I, I think our, uh, uh, our topic today has to do with the, um, you know, what the impact of internet shutdown has been. Mm-hmm. So uh, just from a regulatory point of view, it's just good to bear in mind that many of these licenses have a clause in some form or the other, uh, which require operators to be compliant with government directives under the national security uh, kind of uh, directives. So that's uh, that's on the regulatory point of view, then mm. uh, talking about, uh, uh, if I could also just weigh in on the question about can these costs be recouped? Yeah. Uh, I agree with John. Uh, we can't really recoup, um, you know, it's like uh, skipping breakfast and having two breakfasts tomorrow. It's right. really not, not really going to help. Uh, for people who had to um, do something today on the internet, whether it's a business deal, yes, they could still try and catch up with it tomorrow or they might miss out on it. Or if it's, uh, you know, everyday costs that the operators uh, accept, uh, expect to accrue revenue from. So when you think about return on investment periods, sometimes uh, these uh, small blips uh, that can actually cause uh, uh, an operator to lose a lot of revenue, uh, not just for its subscribers, but uh, also in the periphery when you think about other services they're hosting um, uh, on their network. Mm. So uh, I think the the way forward uh, would involve uh, really a very robust discussion because uh, primarily when you hear people talking about internet shutdowns, the first thing people talk about is democracy and human rights exactly. and, of course, the uh, uh, economic impact. Um, but uh, what motivates the shutdown for those countries where there may be a, a basis to stem the flow of misinformation? Uh, what recourse do they have? Uh, I think regulators should uh, now weigh in, and especially um, since regulators are supposed to be really independent to advise the governments that, okay, these are the ways you can, um, uh, you know, uh, control the flow of information or misinformation, if you like. Um, Perhaps blocking uh, certain IP addresses and not others, so that you keep the, you know, you you keep the economy running while trying to achieve that one objective. But of right. course, uh, uh, in principle, this uh, you know sounds like something that can happen. But uh, the motivation, uh, they, that motivation is always uh, 
more often than not a pretext. It's not really uh, the real motivation behind the shutdown. It's to prevent mobilization, uh, discourse, uh, debate, uh, and so on. And talking of mobilization, uh, even in some countries, they have shut down mobile payments because they see money flowing around as another way people can be mobilized to move from Absolutely. area to area. So in some cases, uh, they actually impact uh, mobile payments, whether it's the normal uh, way carried over networks using USSD or via mobile applications. So I think uh, there's, there's, need for, um, there's need for regulators to step forward and look at, uh, and look at uh, make, uh, how to, you know, what the justification is and uh, uh, how to uh, really, uh, uh, how to address that justification without, uh, you know, affecting the broader economy. Indeed, uh, it also, it also flies in the face of efforts by regulators. Um, uh, most regulators, uh, and I'll just limit myself to Africa, most regulators have the mandate to increase penetration. People talk about universal access and, uh, and a, a, a one uh, overarching thing has to do with healthcare, education, agriculture, small businesses. So on one hand, the regulator has a big fund where they're trying to expand access to fixed voice, to fixed internet, mobile voice, mobile internet. Uh, but then uh, their efforts are more or less being laid to waste once they've achieved these objectives of connecting rural areas, working in partnerships with uh, different players to, you know, uh, avail access for education, healthcare, emergencies, and so on. And then now, uh, you know, the governments are uh, shutting down the internet. So there's sort of uh, some erosion there, or rather some the carpet is sort of being pulled from under the, the regulators who were mandated to increase access. So again, uh, uh, I think regulators should should step forward, engage with uh, the policy makers, and uh, perhaps also do an assessment of the impact. Some of the impact is uh, very patently clear in terms of the revenue lost by operators, in terms of the businesses uh, losing out on uh, communications, uh, international communications, of whatever form. But there are other areas, uh, and I think John alluded to this uh, briefly in terms of cloud services. Uh, many many companies are using uh, uh, cloud services, which more often than not are hosted outside the country. Uh, whether it's a customer relationship management, whether it's uh, enterprise resource planning, human resources, payroll, uh, you know, all the way, uh, you know. Affecting uh, big enterprises all the way to small businesses, uh, which just need some basic financial accounting uh, right. system. So there's that, uh, there's that, uh, there's that knock, uh, there's that knock that happens. So uh, it, if your business is disrupted for four to five days, as recently happened in Uganda, then uh, you're more inclined to, you know, shy away from it. Uh, your business, uh, you rely on this whenever there's a shutdown you're going to be deprived of certain tools that you need to run your business. Right. So, yeah, I'm still on the way forward. You mentioned uh, some very important points. However, so I was going to say, I think the major problem is when these governments take these drastic actions, they almost leave no room for negotiation or conversation. 
right? And then a lot of the owners of these service providers sometimes are scared uh, to even, you know, speak up because they don't want to be antagonized by uh, the government and they don't also want drastic sanctions. So how do we create that opportunity for even an audience or listening ear from the government? How do we get the government to sit down with operators and regulators to say, okay, you know what? This is absolute, but we need to factor in uh, small enterprises. We need to factor in emergency services, just like we, we had highlighted uh, and Jonathan had also touched on. Also, you know, when you talk about sovereignty and, 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 and abuse of human rights, is there a way we could get, you know, continental bodies, say the African Union, for example, uh, to come in and, and speak on behalf of these people? So at least there could be a chance to even have a conversation uh, before, you know, just arbitrarily shutting down the internet? It's a great question. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Short answer, yes. Long answer, it's yes, but it's, it's super hard, right? So first of all, you got to remember that in most cases, when an internet shutdown takes effect, it's done so without warning. Exactly. So it's, it's done so without the opportunity to engage. And, and part of that is because governments who want to shut down the internet are generally doing it for for some quite specific purpose uh, and it's typically political so they are trying to um, silence dissent or control a conversation in some way that drawing attention to the fact that they're going to do it would only give people warning and the opportunity to circumvent it and we've seen right. even going right back to the Arab Spring um, where the Egyptian internet was cut off and Egyptian citizens yeah, you got to remember again. They're motivated to to communicate, so they will find a way. <laughs> uh, they will use other technologies if necessary. They will invent other technologies to do so. Uh, so really, all you're gaining as a government is that quite short period of shutdown. Um, you know, right as an election happens, for example, or when a particular court case is, is working through the system. Right, it, it's over. Mm. All right, just to zoom out a little from the internet shutdown conversation, there happens to be a growing adoption of local data centers across Africa by large and small companies. Can you give us a bit of insight on that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's actually fascinating. A lot of these operators for quite a long time, for several years, have been concerned that as the hyperscale cloud providers, so Amazon, Google, and, and, and so on, as they as they start to roll out and push services routine, Microsoft establishing data centers in Africa and so mm. on, uh, that it would eat into their data center business, their domestic data center business. And in, in actual fact, the opposite has happened. It's mm. st- it stimulated the growth of local data centers. We've seen the emergence of whole new types of applications which uh, really uh, leverage that combination of the hyperscale international cloud with local data centers. Yeah. You know, we've seen some very successful local uh, telecoms operators uh, spreading into data center businesses and expanding. And East Africa is a fantastic example of, of this in action. There's tons of, of data center builds on the go. So it's it's a fantastic business to be in and it, it really highlights the demand that there is for these types of services. Mm. You know, the, it, it, especially within this you know, East African region where there is, there is a lot of uh, energy in, in building out these types of services. And of course, just within this immediate context, it does hedge against that risk of, a, of you know, an internet disconnection of any sort, uh, having a local data center. But I think in most cases, it's that synergy between local and, and global. Um, Francis, you're, you're, so you've got your um, eyes on lots of, of local um, 
lots of local companies out there who are, are very active. And right. Where, where do you see it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and yes, indeed, this is one way of uh, partly mitigating this problem, and especially where the communications are on the continent. Uh, we've seen some players um, actually uh, uh, making investments that are actually attracting these uh, data center providers to either build uh, uh, their data centers in Africa and, and uh, across the continent, or work with local p providers to run uh, local instances. These are people like uh, Google, Oracle, SAP. So uh, uh, one good thing that's happening is that the terrestrial networks, the, the, the land-based fiber is continually being expanded. And uh, at the same time, there, has been a, there have been a lot of initiatives at the country level and regional level for peering internet traffic. So that, for example, if I'm writing to John in Johannesburg, it doesn't have to go all the way to the submarine cables uh, internationally and then land in Johannesburg. It can just pass over the continent using mm. terrestrial fiber. So, so for intra-Africa communications, these data centers would be uh, quite, uh, one way that helps to mitigate uh, the impact of this. And uh, more so when it comes to hosting certain cloud services, um, software as a service where we have these data centers uh, um, on the continent. But having said that, um, some of these internet shutdowns affect the, the, the international gateways. So um, uh, in a sense, uh, if, 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 if the government's intentions are to, um, you know, control access to social media like, um, you know, Twitter, WhatsApp, uh, Facebook and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there could be some ways that they can they can still do that without uh, affecting other services. Exactly. Interesting. For the most part, these are internationally hosted services. But for the other business-oriented education, when you think about things like uh, um, Office 365, uh, which is actually being uh, uh, adopted uh, uh, to a good extent in the education sector then if there are local instances of these uh, residing at data centers, then to an extent, uh, uh, part of the problem uh, ceases to be. So uh, I think uh, the more we invest in uh, terrestrial infrastructure, the more attractive the continent becomes um, as a place to host data centers. Uh, but just with a small caveat that uh, there are pockets of challenges here and there, like electricity uh, in West Africa, which would, of course, increase the cost of uh, running a data center using generators. That's and, right. Uh, perhaps other renewable power. Thank you. All right. All right. I mean, we have one in Cape Town that I know of, the one by Amazon. And we have a few companies in Nigeria also, you know, that build local data centers. But then what do you see five years from now? What should we look forward to in the next five years when it comes to local data centers across Africa? What I think you're going to see, first of all, is a lot more partnerships. The The arrival of, of Microsoft and Amazon uh, in in Africa was not yeah it didn't happen at the same time by accident the, the market is just ready for this mm -hmm. so you're going to see more companies uh, coming uh you, and there are the obvious candidates you know, like like oracle and, and huawei and so on who who 
will almost certainly be establishing facilities here, uh, not just in, in South Africa. You know, South Africa is the largest cloud market uh, for sure, but, but there are tremendous opportunities. You know, Nigeria is a very big market. Kenya is a very large market. Uh, large amounts of Francophone Africa, for example. So a lot of opportunities. The partnerships you'll see, you'll definitely see the, um, the local providers building out uh, capacity for those partnerships, but also for customers who are migrating from on-premise into uh, hosted private cloud. So in other words, uh, taking advantage of cloud technologies, but not in your own data center on-premise. Uh, and then going forward, uh, that, as that accelerates, you'll start to see more and more of these, these synergies emerging where you have, uh, for example, cloud edge technologies. So using a lot of uh, Internet of Things, uh, where you're gathering data in a local data center and then handing it off to a hyperscale cloud for processing. So those types of interfaces are very important and really increases that demand for local in-country, very low latency facilities. So the uh, so that's, that's a, a big pressure that's building. Uh, at the same time, what you're gonna see is um, the sort of upscaling of the capacity. So in other words, you look at the in-country facilities, in order to compete with each other, they have to keep going forward, they have to keep improving their power efficiency, they have to keep improving their connectivity, reliability, and, and so on, right? So there is there is a risk that smaller providers will struggle to keep up and the market will start to consolidate around the really big players. And mm. um, the kind of the incumbent, you know, tier three, tier four uh, data center operators, uh, those smaller guys really have to be inventive and they have to start now, if they haven't already, in looking for niches that they can establish to to build a sustainable business and there are ways there are opportunities out there you know, in in just the same way that the big guys were feeling threatened by hyperscale before and they found a, a good route forward there are opportunities so i think yeah data centers not an exciting topic to a lot of a lot of techies who, who look at the kind of the, the flashing lights and, and of public cloud but it's right now is probably as exciting a time for the technology development and for the business opportunities as there has been in a long time. Alright guys, still Africa Business Radio and we have been talking to the IDC spokespersons, Jonathan Tullet, uh, who is the research manager at IT services for IDC Sub-Saharan Africa and of course Francis Hook, uh, who is regional manager for IDC East Africa. We have been discussing the impact of internet shutdowns. Thank you so much guys for uh, coming to dissect this topic with mm. us uh, and also you know, shed more light on dark areas and just, you know, making us understand uh, the whole concept better. Thank you so much. Thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.